I am, I'm excited to be here. I hope you guys are. I have, I was wondering how, how many people were here last Sunday. Can you raise your hand if you were here last Sunday? Awesome. Okay, so I don't need to repeat a whole lot. Uh, I get to continue what started last week, and I taught on prosperity God's way. And the one highlight I want to repeat is that you can only steward properly if you have the heart of the king and if the king has your heart. So it's a two-way street. I mentioned the irrigation ditch where a ditch takes off of the river. The river has its main flow and an irrigation ditch with a head gate takes some water off and it flows down the side uh, in, in another area. And that each one of us represents an irrigation ditch or uh, the, the head gate. And so as we allow that water to flow, it flows into our fields where we need to you know, irrigate and we need to spray water. But it also flows through and goes to all those around us. So thinking prosperously is for uh, the, the, the bigger picture of where all, is it, where all does the king want to take it? Well, it has to go through you to get to those around you. Truly, that's the way God's prosperity works. That's sowing and reaping. His principles are always at work, and they are principles that uh, will continue through all of time. So recognizing that for ourselves and that that is God's heart for us is that he wants us to be able to water all of our fields. But he, in order to do that, he wants to flow extra through like an irrigation ditch would be. The river is so big that it never feels it. As you, as you open your head gate, the, the river's not going to go, oh no, I'm about out of water. Because God is our source. He's, he is the river. I was wondering, uh, did, did, anyone, did anyone take a trip to Niagara Falls? Anybody? You did? No, not recently. Okay. So... Anybody in the last week? So I want to say something. This is interesting to me because um, I talk through uh, these things with my wife, but I don't just go through the whole message with her and tell her everything. I don't preach the whole message. I'm just talking through some basic things. And, and last night, so we're, we're sitting there, and she, she pulls this thing up on her phone, and she goes, we should go to Niagara Falls. <laughs> I hadn't mentioned that to her. She said, we should take the kids. We should uh, make sure my mic's on. She said, we should take the kids. We should show them, you know, this is awesome. This is, this is something that every, everybody needs to see. And I said, do you know anything about what I talked about last Sunday? Did I tell you? She didn't know. And I just find it interesting. I had actually pulled up on my phone. I had a, a video just a YouTube video of, of the falls. It wasn't a tourist video talking about, you know, on the American side, you see, whatever. It was just the falls. It was just, and you could just see and feel the power of, of that water. And I showed it to her, because I, I, I watched that this week, just to remind myself, just to, just to feel it, to see it. And recognizing the fact that Niagara Falls is puny compared to the flow of God. But if you go there, you see how puny you are compared to that amount of water. So uh, I, I, 
I really found that intriguing. And the Lord, I felt like this was God's confirmation, another confirmation that he's saying, remember me, remember who I am. Because he is, he is our king and he thinks big. He thinks prosperously. He doesn't think small. So when he has dreams, hopes and dreams for you, he thinks big for you. And big might, might look different than what you think of as big. It's not just glamorous. It's something you can't do on your own. It's more than you can do where you will need him in order to accomplish it. I've heard pastors say that, that people get uncomfortable when someone gets up front and starts talking about money. So they think, oh, pastor's looking for, for a way to pay stuff off or whatever. And I just ask the question every time, because I've heard it several times, why does that make people uncomfortable? Why would it? If, if someone's getting up here and talking about money, either you go, well, that's boring, or you say, I better hold on to my stuff. So it, it's an example of Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will, will be also. And we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. But I did this exercise at the well, and I'd like, to, I'd like to do that actually here. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but does anybody have their, you have your wallets with you? You have your purses? Get your, get your whatever. Hold it up. This is like Bible's up. Okay. All right, Laverne's got his, Ezra. All right, hold them up. Come on, you're like, like this. Okay. Now, I want you to, to just stand up. Come on, do this with me. This is, this is an exercise. This is to get you thinking. Now walk over to someone and hand them your wallet. Trade. Give, give somebody your money. Give them, give them right there. Give it to them. All right, John, get rid of it. You can't give it to your kids. No, no, no. You got to give it to somebody else. There we go. Okay. Now, you're holding someone else's wallet. Now, if you gave your, your purse or your wallet away, do you feel it pull on your heart? You feel that like, I better, Ezra turned around, you don't know, he might be getting stuff out of your wallet, John. It, 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 we feel the pull because that represents security. It represents something that I gotta hang on to. And in fact, I mean, do you wanna do an offering, Ezra? Let's, yeah, yeah. Where's that basket at? So you better give them back now so we don't lose them. But I love this exercise. I love to, to, uh, to see how, like really be honest about how it feels to hand somebody something that you put that much stock into. And I mean, you got, even if there's nothing even if there's no cash in there, there's probably some cards, there's probably something, there's your ID. There, there, there's part of your identity is wrapped up into that little thing you carry, either in your purse or in your pocket. And I'm, I, I really want this to challenge us. Where's your heart? Because if, if your treasure, if that represented a portion of your treasure, I mean, you might have a card in there that has your bank account number or something like that. You go, whew, I hope nobody finds that. Because there's something about it that you, you, have, you have placed assurance into. And you, you say, that makes me feel better knowing where that is. When you don't know where it is, you feel a little uncomfortable. Or maybe 
very uncomfortable. So I'm going to talk today about what it means to be a steward. And the, so the message is called Stewards of the King. And when I was thinking about the word steward and talking about being a steward of the king, I kept thinking of kind of backing up a little because I kept, even as I was driving down here, I was thinking, I wonder if we think of it as servants of the king. Like when you think of stewards of the king, does that sound to you like a servant? Because it did kind of to me as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, we're really not just servants. We are children of the king. The king is your dad. So I guess, John, you could have given it to your kids and said, now steward well if you trust them. <laughs> but there, there will come a time where your kids receive what you have, very possibly, where, where you say, here. Or the state says, here, here's what they had. Uh, but if you, if you learn to, if your kids learn to steward what you have, you can trust them with more. So I want to think of it more than just a servant. The, this, you are a child of the king. The king is your dad. He's your father. And he is trusting you with his wealth. So he says, be a steward. Now, when you hear the word steward or stewardship, it's, it's very, very possible that you have years of training just come flooding into your heart and you say, oh, I, I've, I've just I've thought about it one way my whole life or I've been taught one way my whole life. And you think, I, I think I know what stewardship means, but my guess is there are some things missing, very likely. And, and even as we go along, as we learn, I'm finding more and more things that I say, you know what, that was still missing from my understanding of stewardship. So I, I want you to just do this again, this little exercise of, that we did last time, just imagine you know nothing about stewardship and just go, okay, Lord, what's in your word? What do you have to show us? What does it mean to be a steward? It is not simply hoarding money or penny pinching or being frugal. And that's the one thing I want to start with because I, I feel like there's been so much misunderstanding where you'd say, well, well, be a good steward, be a good steward. So don't, don't ruin it. <laughs> don't waste it. Don't, don't do something that would, that would be uh, a misuse of it. So often that means don't do something that doesn't make sense or it isn't logical. So when you're going to, uh, you, you say, I, I want to I make a purchase of some kind. I want to make sure that what I get, that I pay the least amount for what I get. I get the most bang for the buck. And that is not what stewardship means. We'll get into that later. But stewardship, the basic understanding of stewardship is know the heart of the king. Stewardship is actually almost... If I can say it this way, you, you almost have to be the king. You almost have to be the heart of the king. It's not just, well, I, I'm going to kind of guess. Uh, you, you have to know him intimately. So one of the messages that's actually missing from this whole time is hearing the voice of God, knowing him intimately. We were talking this morning before the service about just spending time with him. 
If you're not spending time with him, if you don't have a relationship with him, you, you won't know how to steward. This begins by inviting him into your heart. Inviting, I mean, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, it begins with being born again. And then inviting the Holy Spirit to fill you, to instruct you, to give you wisdom. And it's not just a one-time event. It's, it should be daily. I, when I spend time with the Lord, I, I sit in my office and I say, Holy Spirit, possess me. Did you know that I'm possessed? I, I love saying that. I am possessed. I'm possessed by the very Spirit of God himself. And he wants to possess you too. See, he's good. He's good. When you think of someone that's possessed by a demon or by something evil, it, it destroys them. It's it's negative thing for them. But being possessed by the very Spirit of God, I am a, a, I have the river flowing through me because he is the river. So when I invite him, when I say, Holy Spirit, fill me, I present myself, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I say, I am a vessel. Fill me. Possess me. Speak to me. In those times, I'm open to hear him talk about money. It's not just we'll just learn some principles. He, he speaks to me specifically about things he wants to accomplish. So how most Christians, many Christians will describe being a good steward isn't really what God had in mind at all. I want to give an example of Joseph in Egypt, his steward. So I'm going to read Genesis 44 uh, verses 1 through 4. So just listen, uh, if you want to turn to that, you can, but just listen to how the steward became Joseph. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Do you notice how Joseph, he, he, he literally extended his arm, he extended his voice. It's as if Joseph himself, himself was speaking to his brothers. Do you, do you think Joseph had any question whether that steward would, would do what he had asked him to do? Do we, do we notice anywhere in here where Joseph said, now, now repeat after me. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Now do what I said. No, Joseph had a good steward. His steward would do anything he said. He stewarded the, the money of Joseph, his his possession, his silver cup. He stewarded his voice. He stewarded his hands. He stewarded the feet of Joseph. He went. He literally did exactly as Joseph would do. That is stewardship. That, if I can, if I can give a, an example from scripture, an example that we can look at, think of it that way. Don't just think about what's God want to do with my money. Don't just think about how can I penny pinch and make this. Think of it as the steward of Joseph. Are you the steward of your king? Are you the steward of your father? 
See, this is even a closer relationship than Joseph and his steward, and yet we see this intimacy where they're, they're interacting together all the time. And Joseph says, go and do this and go and do that. So I love this example. I love what I see when I, when I, I can sense the heart of trust that Joseph has in his steward. Now, let's look at what Jesus said about managing money. In Luke 16, verses 10 through 14, he said, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard these things and they derided him. Or they came against him. They, they condemned him. You notice, uh, even the, the thing of, the example of putting the money in the ditch last week. There's a purpose, many times there's a purpose we don't see. And so, Jesus is talking about being faithful in that which is least. Something that is, we don't see the, un, we don't have the understanding of it. And he say, well, what, what can this do? What good is this? And he says, be faithful in this. Do what I say. I had an example of this uh, where when I was in Bible college, I had, uh, my family was here in Ohio and I was in Colorado. <coughs> Excuse me. And we were, I was commuting from Colorado to Ohio every three weeks. So, explain that. Uh, and I, I found myself in a position where I, I told the Lord, I don't want to bail you out. I don't want to try to solve something. If I don't see a solution, then I'm just going to sit with you. And you tell me what the solution is. If I don't have food to eat, I'm not worried. Jesus went for 40 days. Come on. Like Surely, in 40 days, I'll get a bite to eat. It's not a big deal. If I don't have money to buy fuel for the car, I actually asked the landlord, I was renting a room in the basement of a couple, and I, he had a bike, and I asked him if I could use his bike, just in case. Who knows? I might, you know. And I, I even walked it. Instead of driving, how long does it take me to walk? If I need to walk, I'll walk. I'm not worried about it. I'm going to let it just pan out. Let it be what it is. And I'm going to enjoy every moment of it. So I, was, I didn't have extra cash. I, if I would have an opportunity come up, there was times I did work for people. And because I've worked with my hands a lot, so I can do construction, almost anything. I've done most, most types of construction. So I would do work for people and the Lord would say, just tell them, no charge. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they don't know. They don't know I don't have any money. I mean, like, and I would go, no charge. They go, oh, thank you. And some of them were wealthy. I repaired a guy's roof, and he's got, he's got houses all over the place, whatever. And he, he, he didn't need me to grant him a repair on his roof. And yet, the Lord said, give it to him. And 
I did a job for a guy that he had, uh, I, it, it, we were doing a gutter job and he gave me this money and I looked at the money and I said, it was cash. And I said, Lord, okay, what do I do with this money? And it was $180 and I had it kind of fanned out and the Lord said, 20 of that is tithe. Okay, great. And then he said, 60 of it is seed. Awesome. That leaves me with $100. So the Lord used, used $100 multiple times in my experience at Bible college in different ways. I will finish out the story of that $100 and what the Lord, how he, how I wasted it and how he restored it. Because <laughs> he's not worried about our, our mistakes. He, he wants us to, to go after it, give it our all, and then he, he's there to teach us. But there was another $100 story then where I was, I was sitting in the front row, the speaker was up speaking, and I wanted to partner with him. And I didn't have an extra $100 a month. I didn't have an extra amount like that that I could guarantee. And I said, Lord, it's on my heart to, to, to partner with him. Well, how do I commit to something I don't have? How do I... And you know what? They're not even saying anything about it. Maybe they don't even want to do that. And the speaker gets up and he says, well, we weren't going to do this, but there are those here who want to partner with us. The Lord was telling me. So ushers, can you come? Let's hand out partner cards. So I, I got one and I said, Lord, how much? And he said, a hundred bucks, a hundred dollars. So I filled out this card and there's a place where you sign. It's, you know, $100 monthly, check that, da-da-da-da. And I signed the, the signature line, and I heard, it is done. I mean, it was, it, was as, it was as clear as if somebody would clap their hands here. It was, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know what the Lord's saying, but I heard a declaration, it is done. I committed to $100 I didn't have consistently guaranteed I can give this amount. When I tell you I was living on a little bit, I was living on $1.50 a day. You'd be surprised how, how little it takes to sustain you. I was eating two meals a day, can of soup, two eggs, two eggs in the morning, and I'd eat a can of soup in the afternoon. And that's it. I didn't even lose weight. I mean, like the Lord was just sustaining me. It was amazing. So it didn't take much. I mean, $20 would go a long ways. So $100 was a massive amount in my experience. By the end of that day, I had received two phone calls. The one, a, a, an acquaintance knew that my family was in Ohio, I was in Colorado, and he said, your family needs to come visit you, and I wanna pay for it. If they're willing to stay in Hilton's and Marriott's, whatever. He said, I'll, I'll pay for it. And I'll pay for the fuel and whatever. Gets, I'll get them all out there. So that's one commitment that I couldn't afford. And I had a trip for my family committed to. By nine o'clock that night, I had received another phone call. And the man said, yesterday, he said, 
my wife and I, no, it was, it was that same day. He said, this morning, my wife and I were eating breakfast together, and we, we were reading where Jesus said, he who receives a prophet, rece or receives a righteous man, receives a righteous man's reward. He who receives a prophet, receives a prophet's reward. So whoever takes care of a righteous man or takes care of a prophet, receives the reward of everything that prophet does. And he said, my wife and I both looked up at each other, and we, we both said, Doran, he's our righteous man. He's our prophet. So he said, I've already, I've already checked into this. I called the school. I've already committed to this. We want to pay your tuition the whole time you're there. Now, tuition was a lot more than $100 a month. <laughs> and I had already committed to paying that. Not, not knowing exactly how it's going to happen. I had paid two months tuition and the Lord paid for two years. Now, all I did was commit to something that he told me to commit to. I didn't have it. To, I didn't have it guaranteed. I committed to it and the rest was taken care of. The it is done was something laid out ahead of time. I didn't know that. <laughs> if, if you'd know it, then it's easy. And I tell my kids this all the time. Obedience is only obedience if you disagree with me. If you agree with me, you're just doing it because you want to. Because you think it's right. Obedience is only obedience if you think I'm wrong. Or if you don't understand. So obey. That means do what you don't agree with. Or do what you don't understand. So God asks us for obedience, and with it comes a, a reward, because he's good. That's how he, he, he lays it out ahead of us. There, the stories that, uh, that there's so many stories that happened when I was in Bible college, and it wasn't, I mean, there was a lot of teaching and things I learned, but there were so many interactions with people, people that were also on their journey of encountering the Lord, learning and repenting of things they need to change their thinking on, repenting being a good thing, remember that, a joyous thing, something that we, we look forward to. So the, when you get in the environment of people wanting to learn, wanting to discover where they're wrong, where they have mindsets that need to shift, it becomes exciting. And that's really what I, I, I really want to have happen here, that, that all of you inspire each other, spark uh, conversations where you say, guess what I was wrong about? And you, and you all go, what? Oh, I want to know. What, what were you wrong about? Well, this is what it was. And I, or, you know what? I think you're wrong about that. <laughs> Are we willing to hear that? Are we willing to have those discussions and not feel condemned or not feel attacked? If there are things that you're willing to learn, you'll have encounters where the Lord will teach you. Don mentioned the last time uh, about a, a preacher buying one suit for the price of three. Do you guys remember that? He said, this was back in the 70s, 80s, or whatever time it was, and, and so one suit cost X amount, and so he could buy, uh, he, he would buy his suits for cheap, and the Lord told him, go buy one for the price of what three of those would cost. Now, if we use today's pricing, I don't know where that would be at, but Imagine paying three times what a suit is worth. What you could get a, a decent suit for. Going out and spending three times that amount. So, I mean, you can, I, we could go into specific numbers. But I had something happen to me that this, it reminded me of, and, and I wanted to talk about it because 
it, it's, it was bigger than I was willing to think at the time. Uh, I had, at the, the graduation, I had a, a guy come up to me and, and I had interacted with him a lot. I knew him. Uh, we, we interacted daily and so we were, we we're friends. He's in his 60s uh, and, and really uh, an, amazing, an amazing student himself, willing to learn, but also humble and willing to teach. So I didn't have a suit coat at the time. I, I just had a you know, dress shirt and I, I was dressed up. It was graduation. And he comes up to me and he, and he says, well, you look, you look good. You look sharp. And you know, we're just talking and he goes, you need a suit coat though. You need a jacket. And he was wearing one and he, he, he takes his coat off with kind of this flair and he says, here, and he throws it around me and he says, you need my Creflo dollar. And I'm like, okay. Now, does anybody here, do you guys know who Creflo Dollar is? Do you guys you recognize? He's a wealthy minister, okay? And he's received all kinds of attacks because of the wealth that he has. And so he called it his Creflo Dollar suit. And then he goes, yeah, and he's, he's sizing me up. He's looking at me. He goes, it's just not enough, though. Not enough. This one cost me 20 grand. I think you should have one maybe more like 50 grand. And I'm thinking, don't move a muscle. I don't want to tear this guy's coat. Like, who spends $20,000 on one suit coat? Or, a, I don't know if it was just the coat or what, but who spends that amount of money on, on, a, on something to wear? And he's telling me it's not enough. He wants to go, Two and a half times more, almost. He, he's like, not, not even close. You need something that's way more. And I took the coat off. I said, well, you know, I gave it back. He wasn't giving it to me. Uh, he was just making a point. And then he said, he said, you know, Creflo couldn't even, couldn't even get this coat, though, because I had a Scottish tailor make it for me, and he's dead. So, and it, it, he's just kind of joking. He's having fun. We're talking, and... And this conversation, I repeated this conversation after that. I told some people about it. And they were so offended. I mean, they were offended at him. They, they were like, really? Like, is he just trying to show off? What was he doing? You know what? What would you do if you'd have that? If, you, if I would give you a coat that was worth $20,000, what would you do with it? And they would ask me that. What would you, and I would ask them, what would you do with it? Many times, I got this response. I'd probably sell it. You know what all I could do with that? I mean, you know how much tithe I could give off of that? Man, that'd be, that'd be awesome. You know what, how much good I could do with that? I want to read something. Matthew 26, verses 6 through 16. And when Jesus was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him, having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. 
For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Wow. In John 12, verses 4 through 6, it tells us specifically who led the complaint and what the motive was. It says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why, this fragrant oil, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Then he said, Not that he cared, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Notice the motive, notice his heart. Now, here's my question to you. Did any of you think, yeah, you should sell that suit coat and you should give it to the poor? <laughs> Did any of you have the voice of Judas in you? Don't run away from it, don't ignore it. Don't act like it didn't happen. If it did, be honest about it, think about it. Just, just soak in it and say, is that what I want? Do I want that heart? Obviously, I mean, I've kind of backed you into the corner now if, that, if that's in your heart, but recognize it and be willing to change. See, when we think of things that make logical sense, we can justify it all day long. 300 denarii was worth one year's wages. So if we can just say, I know wages are all over the place, but let's just use an easy number, one suit coat, $50,000. That's what the guy told me. Here, you need one that costs $50,000. What about a watch? Would you wear a $50,000 watch? I mean, there's watches a lot more expensive than that. Would you wear a watch? Would you have one? Would you own it? If the Lord said, buy a watch, that's $50,000. If he would tell you, buy a watch for someone else, that's $50,000. Would you do it? You realize the fact that this is one year's wages. Let's, your wages may be more, they may be less, but let's just use this as our benchmark. It is hard to justify taking one year of your wages and, if I can say it this way, dumping it in the ditch or pouring it on Jesus' feet or on his head or giving a watch to Ezra that's $50,000. Would you receive it, Ezra? Oh boy, this is, I, I, I mean, this, this really goes against so many stereotypes that we have, we have actually just accepted as, you know what, that's probably the way it should be. Yeah, Ezra probably shouldn't have a watch that's worth that. And so and so, one of you guys probably shouldn't buy it for him. But guess what? If Jesus said this about the woman, about Mary, with the jar of oil. Do you realize that jar of oil couldn't be used again? She poured it out. I mean, I can even come up with a better use for a watch that's worth that or a suit coat. What about oil? I mean, it, it was gone. Now the fragrance of the oil filled the whole house. 
There was two people that smelled wonderful, beautiful for the burial of Jesus. It was Jesus and Mary. Because she, she poured it out and she was part of this. It got on her. The fragrance of her worship, she was a part of that as well. But what are you willing to do if the Lord puts something on your heart? Again, I'm trying to challenge your paradigms. I'm trying to get you to think outside the box and think, what, what have I accepted that sounds a lot like Judas?